You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the northern lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and you're listening to Mushing Radio here on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on social media under the same name. And be sure to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And today we are joined by Iditarod Musher Hunter Keefe. He lives in Kinnick, Alaska and runs with uh, Ramey and Barb Reddington's dogs. Hunter, how's it going today? Very good. Enjoying the beautiful weather up here in Cotsview today and got to watch the 440 start, so couldn't be better, really. Well, Hunter, I know we're recording early. This episode's going to air a little bit later on, but I know you're helping out uh, your friend and some other fellow mushers up there. Can you give us an idea what it's like up there? Because we just did our Kobuk 440 race preview the other night. Yeah, it's uh, totally different coming back from Kinnick. So, you know, in Nome, it was wintertime. You came to Kinnick, and it was kind of springtime. And then coming up here, I mean, it was um, below zero and a little breezy, and I'm not really used to those kind of temperatures. So it felt like 30 below, I think, was the chill factor this morning. So it's definitely pretty cool. But come race start, it was nice. It, the wind calmed down, and it got really sunny. So it was a beautiful bluebird day. And it didn't feel like it was below zero, even though that's what the thermometers were reading. And you couldn't really ask for better weather for the dogs. Just nice and cool, but beautiful and sunny and no wind right now, even though they have had some storms these past couple of weeks. But I, I just hope the weather holds because it's, it's very beautiful right now. And I know that you're up there helping a friend of yours, uh, uh, a, a musher from, from my town here in Willow, Jesse. Uh, you said on Facebook or Instagram, one of the two today, that it's a little bit different to be on the other side, if you will, uh, helping out as a handler, I assume is what you were saying, compared to being on the runners. Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, I think this is really my first official race where I'm just handling. I've been a handler um, in the past, but I was um, usually qualifying at the same time. So I'd end up in the races, even though I was uh, Musher's handler. So this is my first time where I'm just, I'm strictly on the, the handler side of things. So it's different uh, watching everybody take off and now sitting here looking at the tracker. It's it's definitely different, but it was fun. And it's, it's yeah, it's fun. It's less stressful. I was kind of almost relieved last night after leaving the musher meeting where normally if I had been a musher, I would have had a ball of nerves last night going to bed, but I was totally relaxed and um, just enjoyed being around the dogs and all the excitement and not not the nerve side it's kind of kind of cool 
Yeah, it's a whole different ball game. I have have been in both sets of shoes in in my mushing career, and I find it uh, a little bit relaxing to be to be the handler. You can just sort of kick back with a cup of coffee or tea or whatever it is, and uh, sit back and enjoy it a little bit, can't you? Yeah, yeah, you can definitely enjoy, and then you know you're kicking yourself that you're not in the race too at the same time. But then again, you know, being in a race, it is it is work and it's nice to not have that work and know that I get to go to sleep tonight and not have to <laughs> run all night long. <laughs> right. So Hunter, let's take a step back. I usually have you guys introduce yourself and do a quick bio. Tell us who you are and what you're all about, please. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm Hunter and this was my rookie I did around this year, but it's been a, a lifelong dream for me. The dream started very young, six, seven years old was when I was first introduced to the Iditarod race and I was always a really doggy kid, really loved dogs and loved winter time. So it just clicked. It was what I wanted to do. And I just kind of stuck with it. So growing up through school, that's all I wanted to do. And I worked my way towards it and did some mushing back in Michigan where I'm from in middle school and then came up to Alaska as soon as I could in 2018. And I started uh, under Nick Petit's kennel there in Girdwood we did some summer tours and then um I was in Trapper Creek my first winter actually most of the winter solo there by myself with 20 of the b-string dogs and ran my very first qualifier that spring the Kobuk 440 here in 2019 that was and that was a really pivotal pivotal race for me because it really showed showed me that that's what I wanted to do I wanted to definitely stay with the distance dogs and we raced for three or four days, whatever it was. And I wanted to go another, go another three or four days. I knew I wanted to run. I did a rod. So I, um, finished qualifying with Nick's dogs and, um, kind of through COVID and getting a job in construction, ended up in Kinnick, Alaska and, uh, found my way to Ramey Reddington's kennel and things just kind of clicked there. I started running the dogs in my time off and started racing his dogs and did pretty good the first year and good enough where Ramey wanted me to run him full-time the next year so that's what I did and we improved on that season and then this season um kind of through a push from Ryan actually um signed up for Iditarod and um finally got to get my rookie run under my belt and kind of went good as it could have gone I'm very happy with how it went yeah, I'm I'm interested to talk a little bit about uh, that relationship that you have with the Reddingtons in just a second. You had mentioned that you were in, in Michigan uh, as a youngster and you thought about uh, coming up to Alaska and running dogs one day. What, what was the mushing scene down there? Did you did you find out about it from local mushers? Was it through how a lot of us got involved by watching movies like Iron Will and Balto and, and things like that? Or did you go another route altogether? Um, Balto, I, I definitely remember the Balto cartoon as early as um, Begindergarten, or not Begindergarten, uh, Kindergarten Aftercare, watching it after school and just um, thinking it was the greatest movie. And I think that's what the teachers picked up on that kind of pushed books in my direction. Because um, I read a lot of books and um, then through the internet as well, um, we were kind of internet age kids um i had access to sled dog central and that's where i found the find a mentor link on sled dog central and that's how i i found my first mentor in michigan where i was able to mush dogs in middle school and i did a lot of research online as well you know prior to that and what's the best route and that's kind of what everyone says is you know to find a, a musher to work 
work with because there is just so much to learn. It's hard to just start on your own. So that's what I did. And um, I reached out to Lindsay Backus and I ran her sprint dogs for a couple of years there in middle school. Um, but I, I knew pretty, pretty quickly that uh, sprint mushing wasn't quite for me because I felt like we spent just as much time hooking up the dogs as we did um, running them. And my dream was always Iditarod. And at that point it was junior Iditarod as well. I was always hoping to somehow convince my family to move to Alaska growing up. I had, you know, big lofty goals getting out of Michigan. So um, I knew I wanted to run distance dogs, but it was, it was fun to get my foot in the door with the sprint mushing, at least have some experience there being on the runners and handling and um, learning about working breeds. But I knew distance mushing was the way I wanted to go. And I, I did rod had the insider program as well that I was heavily heavily into um come iditarod time i would watch every single insider video i have all the iditarod you know the yearly documentaries that they make um i was very into those movies and um watching the race through the insider program as well so you had mentioned that you moved up to alaska in 2018 and i'm trying to figure out the math here it says you're 23 years old on your iditarod profiler profile how old were you then yeah, so I think I just turned 19. I turned 19 in July, or July, so I was 18, and then 19 in July, and I moved up in August. So I was freshly 19 years old um, coming to Alaska. And did you already have a connection with Nick, or was it just sort of a wing and a prayer, packing a bag, and, and hope to get a job at a kennel somewhere? Um, my uncle went on the tour, I think, in June of that summer of 2018, Um right before around the time I was graduating and I had been looking at um, websites, looking for jobs, had interviewed with some other kennels, but um, things had fallen through. Um, and I was still looking for a place to go. And my uncle had put in a good word for me at Nick's tour and just said, Hey, I got this kind of goofy nephew is looking for a job up here in Alaska. Um, you think you'll take them? And um, Nick's um, answer was, yeah, well, there's plenty of poop to scoop, send them up. <laughs> so I, I messaged, messaged him, messengered him on Facebook a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was kind of, you know, one way ticket and, um, going to the airport and getting picked up by a guy I'd never met before. It was definitely nerve wracking, <laughs> but it, it all worked out well. You know, Hunter, we just had Eddie Burke on a buddy of yours, uh, that you ran quite a bit with, uh, this year on the trail. And he got started a little bit different than you did. I guess he just showed up to the, to the Iditarod banquet one day and a couple of his friends sort of joshed him around and said, Hey, you should run Iditarod one day. And the next thing you know, he was signed up, but you took a little bit more of a traditional route, didn't you? Yeah. Um, I think I, it took me maybe a couple more years than I thought you know, when I first came up in 2018, you know, I thought, oh, you know, qualify and I'll be, I wanted, you know, the 50th I did or odd was kind of something I had as a, a goal in my head coming up here. You know, I thought I might be able to make it in time for the 50th or maybe even the 49th if things had worked out really well. Um, but yeah, that was the goal. You know, you got to come up, you got to qualify. And um, I didn't expect everything to happen right away, but I, been wanting to run the Iditarod since I was really young so everything felt like it's been taking forever already so yeah that was the goal you know find a musher and um, I'm glad I kind of took my time though and I, I found a group of dogs that I really really connected with and really felt like you know this is the group of dogs that I want to take and you know that wasn't my you know goal coming up here but it kind of worked out that way that you know, it ended up being you know the team that I really want to take is kind of what 
pushed me into going this year and um ryan as well kind of was like hey we're both going to sign up on picnic day and told the tourists that every day this summer i worked with him in girdwood and he kind of told people that and then it just kind of happened so you know kind of combination of those two things and yeah i guess my route was a little bit more traditional as far as you know finding musher and qualifying and taking your time i guess so you had mentioned that you did uh, your first qualifying race was the Kobuk 440. And here on, on this bio, it says you've done very well in the Connect 200, the Willow 300, and won the Goose Bay 150 a couple of times. And that's literally in your guys' backyard there in Connect. Uh, is that last year's stats or did you do some races this year? And if so, how did you do before I did a rod? So, yeah, that was my last year's stats. So I kind of wrote that bio up um, around sign-up time in the Iditarod. So that was before this season's um, racing. Uh, that was my second year with Ramey's team. So the first year we had never placed out of the top 10 um, running Ramey's dogs. And that's kind of what pressured him into letting me race the next year without working in the winter, um, being able to train full-time to see how he did. And we were never out of the top five that year. And won the Goose Bay a second time. So this season uh, we ran the Connect 200 first. I believe we were about seventh place in the Connect 200. And then we ran the Willow 300 and we were second place in a, a close race. I think we were second by 12 minutes. So that was exciting for us to do that well in the Willow 300. And then the Goose Bay this year was very competitive and uh, we took fifth this year. It was nice to see uh, somebody new win, even though we, we were trying to defend that title again, but, uh, yeah, someone new got on the trophy. Dave Turner came and blew us all away with his really fast dogs, but that was our last race of the season. Um, going into Iditarod. So, uh, we did, we did well again this year, a little, little different, but we did well. Well, you can't win them all. Can you Hunter? No, can't win them all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so so let's talk about uh, this year's Iditarod. You had mentioned this was your rookie year, and it was sort of at the urging of your buddy Ryan. Of course, he he won the race this year, and you, you worked quite a ways with, uh, like you said, the last couple of years uh, with um, Barb and Ramey's kennel, which is in a different, it's in different kennel entirely, isn't it? It's not the same dog, same pool, anything like that. Am I right? Yeah, it's totally different from Ryan's pool dogs. He has his own kennel, but the previous two years, so not this year, of course, but the two years leading up before this, Ryan had uh, come up to connect before I did a rod. And because I'd been running the team all year and they were trained up, he would go through and um, pick out a couple of the best ones and run them in the I did a rod. So a couple dogs from my team had been running the I did rod for the two years prior without me with Ryan. Um, but he does have his own pool of dogs, and this year he ran ran all his dogs, and then I ran Ramey's in the race. So let's jump into I did a rod rookie year. Uh, you jumped into it, uh, ready to rock and roll. And as we mentioned, we talked to Eddie the other night, and he said he didn't try to to learn too much about the trail beforehand. He just wanted to, you know, keep uh, keep everything kind of even keel. What was your take into? going into it did you have a bundle of nerves like a lot of folks do or were you pretty calm and collected yeah i was i was definitely fairly nervous um i felt like my stomach was about the size of a walnut on the start day and it kind of felt that way almost all the way to Takata. i couldn't really eat i was um so nervous uh but i was i was excited i was happy 
Um, but I definitely was having a struggle with my own appetite. Um, but I was totally stoked to be out there and excited because the trail was all new to me past Yetna. It was, it was all new. So to be out there and I guess I was kind of similar to Eddie and like, I didn't really know exactly what was coming up. I didn't have a schedule. I didn't have a plan. Um, and I didn't really, I didn't have all the distances or anything written out. I was kind of asking at checkpoints, okay, how's this next run going to be? Um, because I didn't really know exactly what, I had an idea. I mean, I've watched the race enough with the Insider program. I knew what checkpoints were coming up, but I didn't know exact distances or what exactly the trail was going to be like. So I would kind of get a rundown from veteran mushers at every checkpoint and uh, go on the next next little segment and keep it one segment at a time was my approach. So you you did a very respectable eleventh uh, place. Uh, congratulations on that! Uh, a heck of a run for for uh, a rookie run. So yeah, a good job there. What do you think? If you could sum up the race in a in a couple of sentences, what do you think? Uh, did I'm sure you learned a lot. You saw a lot of the of the state. What was your big takeaway, if you will, from from doing this the first time? I mean, for one. Um, for a lot of us, I mean, dream come true, uh, just, you know, everything I could have imagined. It was, it was more, it was, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. It, you know, it was, it was fast for me. It was over before I knew it. And, um, you know, I just, I felt like in Czech Tulik, I made a comment that it was like the perfect Iditarod. It kind of felt that way, you know, it just kind of went really well and kind of perfect. Did you have any uh, trials or tribulations, any big-time stories? Did you run into any buffalo or moose or have any big struggles that you might want to share? I mean, up until the coast, it had been um, kind of kind of a cakewalk, kind of easy, kind of good weather, hard trail, and um, my team had been doing really well. I had 12 dogs from Rainy Pass all the way to Unilocleet, so it was kind of um, not really crazy until then. And then on the coast, the first couple runs were pretty nonchalant as well. And then um, leaving White Mountain, I ran into some wind, which was a little new for me. I followed veteran musher Wade Mars out into the wind there. And uh, we lost the trail a few times together. And he helped get me back to the trail, which was very nice of him. And uh, then at one point, I, I lost Wade as well and was having a hard time finding the trail. And um, was kind of waiting it out, trying to see, walk around, try to find the trail. And, um, some civilians on snow machines drove by and, um, I kind of asked them, you know, where are we? I'm trying to get to Nome. And they said, Oh, you're only two miles away from the safety cabin. And I was like, cool, cool. So they went up a ways and I could kind of see their taillights for a while and point my dogs in that direction. Cause at that point there was no trail markers. And by the time we got over that first hill, I couldn't see the snow machiners anymore, but there was trail markers again, which was definitely a relief. And we moseyed our way over to the shelter cabin and shut it down for the night because the visibility was just getting a little too hard for me with the blowing snow. I wear glasses and I was having to wipe them off every, felt like every couple seconds, they were just immediately getting fogged up or iced up. So visibility was really poor and it was blowing pretty good. And I knew the blowhole was going to be bad that night. So we hunkered down in the shelter cabin, waited it out till morning and um, took off in the morning when the visibility was good and the wind had calmed down. Uh, one of the ITI bikers, I think he's actually the, the winner of the race. He came into the cabin in the morning, warmed up for a minute and informed myself and a 
family that sheltered in the cabin with me overnight that came by snow machine um he informed us that the trail was a lot easier to pass now a lot better than it was last night so he was gonna head on into Nome. he wanted to be he wanted to be done and i kind of liked his attitude and followed him right out so that's kind of how that went and that was really the only big challenge i felt that we had to overcome in the whole race was that wind at the end and it was a challenge but it was it was good I think that I saw a video that uh, that Wade Mars posted. I think it was a story or Instagram reel or something like that. And you were ahead of him on that video. Yeah. I'm thinking of the right one. And boy, that is yep. that is a heck of a storm. Uh, am I correct on that one? Was that when it was about 70 miles an hour or 45? Or do you recall it at all? I don't know what the numbers were. I just know we were in it. Um, and yeah, that video Wade took. That was right at the beginning. That was before it got too bad. That was, I think, right before the Topcock Hills or um, going into them a little bit. And at that point, we had been trading the lead, taking turns, trying to see whose team was faster. And um, he took that pretty cool video, the, the wind blowing. And at that point, it was kind of exciting to be in the weather, um, especially for him. He really enjoys the wind. And then it, it got quite a bit worse in the Topcock Hills. And then it was you know, no one was taking a video <laughs> and he <laughs> right. took the lead at that point. He had a pretty great set of leaders who would turn into the wind and um, let us through the worst of it. So Hunter, we have, I don't know, 10 minutes left or so. And I always like to talk about the dogs and I know that you're running with uh, yeah. Ramey and Barb and, and they have been doing this for a very long time. Both of them have a, a exceptional history in the sport of dog mushing. Anybody named Reddington, of course, has a heck of a yeah. lot of history. Tell us a little bit about the dogs. And in particular, do you have a favorite dog or an interesting story about one that's really resonates with you? Just share a little bit if you can. Yeah. I mean, this group of dogs that I got to run in the race was so extraordinary. And I was thinking the whole way, you know, how um, grateful and lucky I was to be able to hop on a team like this. I mean, not many people get to jump on a team where it's, a man's life's work. I mean, Ramey's been raising these dogs since, you know, he was a kid. He's been running dogs. And, you know, since the conception of the Iditarod, he's been breeding up this team, you know, to run Iditarod. So to race a team that's been, you know, in progress for longer or as long as the race has been around is an incredibly special honor and, you know, why they're as good as they are. And I don't even think I was able to do as good as that team could have done um they're that good and uh they were just an extraordinary group of dogs and you know one that really you know stood out for me was my lead dog uh senior uh he's run the past couple years with ryan so he's been to know him a couple times and um he just has always been a really great pace setter for me he's kind of got a goofy little half loping gait that keeps us going a little bit faster and maybe why all our run times were so nice and he did a really great job for me, he led the entire way. He's led every race for me these past three years. I've never had him out of lead in a race. And uh, coming onto the coast, I had a female in heat who had been leading with him, and she was getting to be a little bit more of a distraction. So I moved her into the swing position um, after Old Woman's Cabin and put Senior in single lead. And he absolutely rocked it in single lead all the way to about Gullivan Bay, um, that female was getting a little more distracting to the team. So I kind of had to rearrange and um, put my old buddy whip up and lead with him who 
he is another great leader, especially for a windstorm. He won the 440 with Ryan and um, the second time Ryan won it when it was a really bad windstorm. So I knew coming into the wind, whip was a good tool to have. But senior and whip, they did awesome for me in lead. And it was also a young group. Uh, I had a lot of rookie dogs. I had four two-and-a-half, three-year-old males um, named after the Beatles, so John, Paul, George, and Ringo. And they were they were extraordinary. They seemed to just get better and better as the race went. By the time Elam came around, it seemed like that group of dogs was even excelling more than my veteran dogs, which was very exciting. And um, three, or four, three out of four of the Beatles made it all the way to the Gnome, which I think is just super cool for a litter um, that young. And um, this was their first season racing with me, too. So for their first season of mushing, I mean, I couldn't ask for more out of that group of dogs. And, you know, they're just a really beautiful, well-moving group of dogs. They, they're they fast and they're fun to be around. And um, I was kind of known as the happy musher, but I thought my team was, you know, kind of the same way. They were just happy and great energy, high energy, high attitude the whole way around. They were super excited to go and it made me um, super excited to be there with them. They were just perfect. I couldn't ask for a better group to take me around. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, th- this this podcast, we try to focus on the dog stories. And I know Iditarod.com is doing a little bit of that right now, but there just isn't enough talk about the dogs. And, and I think that that's an important part of this. Uh, Hunter, we have time for just a couple of more questions. Uh, the first one is, yeah. is, is what was it like there... Uh, either coming into Nome or at the finisher's banquet or whichever, you know, this has been a lifelong dream. Your entire life you've thought about this since you said kindergarten or something like that. What was it like to finally cross under the arch to get that belt buckle that you've thought about all this time? Can you put that into perspective? I mean, it was just, for one, it was a relief. I mean, getting into that windstorm and, of course, thinking about, um, the rookies and all the mushers last year got caught up in a similar storm, probably worse than the one I was in and weren't able to finish. You know, they, they were on my mind heavy and just to think about how much it would not, it would suck a lot, <laughs> you know, come that far and not make it to Nome. So, you know, there was a second in my head where I was like, are we going to make it? So to get there, even with that windstorm, it was just, it was a relief and just, so much joy and happiness and there were so many great people there to greet me and know my girlfriend jesse was there the one who's running the 440 right now to have her up there was so special and share it with all these people who meant the world to me and to share it with the dogs too because they know they made it and um they were so happy and proud to be there as well with me so it was it was incredibly special and it took a while to sink in i think my girlfriend took a nice picture i think the day after i finished of we were walking to the shoot and just taking a picture under it. And she got a shot of me looking back at the arch and it was kind of special then to think, wow, we, we made it here. You know, we made it all the way to Nome and I must here. And it was, it was incredibly special. And I don't know if it's all really sunk in yet, but it, it meant a lot for sure. <laughs> of course it did. So I have one final question for you before we go, Hunter. Uh, we talked a lot during our nightly coverage uh, during Iditarod, uh, my co-host Michelle and Tony and I, about this truly being a changing of the guard year for Iditarod. A lot of the old vets that everybody, you know, the household names, if you will, the Jeff Kings and the Martin Boosers and the, 
Mitch Seavies and all those guys were not running this year. And it truly was a bunch of guys and gals that uh, a lot of people, uh, you know, casual fans, if you will, haven't really heard of like you and Eddie and, yeah. and uh, some of the others. And with that, uh, it, it comes to the question I ask everybody that's on the show that I interview. And that is, and I'm really interested to hear your perspective, number one, before I ask you, because you are truly that first generation of mushers that followed the race specifically on the internet. You know, you had, like you said, yeah. you're an internet kid and you followed it that way where a lot of other people were, were, you know, uh, reading books and magazines and newspapers and all that sort of stuff where you're truly an internet kid. So the question is, Hunter, where do you think you're going to see the sport overall in the next decade or so? Uh, do you do you think there's going to be some big changes with the climate, with the with the sponsors, with the sort of the financial aspect of it, uh, the dogs, the equipment? What what's sort of your take on where we're going to see the sport in ten years or so? Yeah, it's um, it's a good question, and it's you know one that's kind of heavy on all of our minds. I think as mushers because um, it is changing and change is, is scary. And I was asked, you know, you know, during the race with Eddie and I having that tight competition for rookie of the year, you know, how I felt about that. And, you know, I felt like that was good for the race and good to show that, you know, there's us young guys coming in and we're very serious and we want to do good. And um, for me, I had the time of my life out there. It was very fun. And I, I hope to do Iditarod as, as much as I can as, um, as long as I'm able to, you know, it's, it's a financial burden and it's, you know, it's not just you sign up for Iditarod and go, but as long as I can make it happen, um, I want to, I want to run Iditarod. And I think Eddie, um, hopefully it feels the same way because, um, I think there's a good group of mushers who are very excited and very passionate about this race coming up. Um, Emily Robinson, um, just came off her second junior Iditarod win. And I think, um, she's going to be one of the the best things to happen for the sport. She's very passionate and um, got a lot of really, she's a really good um, talker and um, very passionate about the sport and continuing it. And um, there's a lot of mushers right now working on qualifying that are, you know, very good mushers, very capable mushers. Um, Jesse running the 440 right now, she's um, same age as I am or about six months older and she's got her own team already, already has raised up her own team, which is pretty special. So I think the people are here and um, we need the older generation of mushers to kind of take over maybe the, the organizing, you know, there's not, it's not just the mushers that make a race happen. There's the volunteers and um, all the logistics that go behind a race. It's not just us. It's not just the mushers. It's, it's a whole community that has to stay strong and stay together um, for this sport to continue. So I hope, um, the camaraderie that I felt in the race um, was extraordinary this year. And I hope, you know, that, that connection and that, um, you know, that teamwork um, stays strong because that's what it's going to take to keep things going in the right direction. We have to stick together and um, back each other up because we need the community to, to have mushing continue and hopefully continue and get stronger as well. Cause you know, sometimes it's, a little nerve wracking to see the numbers, the sign up numbers may be lower than normal and not just Iditarod, but all the races right now. So uh, I just hope that we can all stick together and um, really show and showcase our love for the dogs and love for the sport. And it's going to 
it's going to take a lot of work by a lot of good people because it's not it's not just one person that puts on any of these events it's it's a real group effort and it's it's amazing how much goes into just getting getting to the starting line for and sure I hope we can all you know have that good keep as long as we stick together and support each other i think we'll should have a good race in 10 years with a lot of new faces like my own and a lot of really tough competition that i'm not looking forward to having to race but i'm looking forward to competing with them at the same time uh, there's a lot of great mushers coming up right now that are are going to make this sport um even better of course and you had mentioned uh, emily robinson we had her on right before she ran junior iditarod uh, her, her and her brother and it was a really interesting oh, awesome. uh, uh podcast uh, episodes there and yeah she's going to be a force to be reckoned with. I ha- I understand she had one heck of a speech there at the finisher's banquet. Sounds like it was, uh, you know, her running for president or something. I didn't get a chance to see it, but yeah. boy, it was, it was a good one. So I think that there's a lot of promise. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of promise for, for you young guys and gals and, and I'm excited to see it happen. So before we go, Hunter, how can folks find you on the internet? But before we say that, we talked right uh, before we aired, and you said that you are coming back next year with uh, Ramey and Barb's dogs. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's the plan right now. Um, yeah, nothing's really changed. I'm going to take them to Juno this summer and work all summer with them, and I got even more young dogs coming up, so um, hopefully some of that same group and then some new young talent mixed there, mixed in there as well. And uh, this year, I, I think I'm going to try to race a little bit more this I know it was a, a pretty good placement, but I never really looked at a runtime. I never really had a plan of what I was going to do. I kind of just winged it. So this next year coming into it, I'm going to try a little, little bit harder. So I'm excited to come back and try to do that team a little bit more justice because uh, their run times and attitude and everything was just so incredible. I feel like we could, we could do even a little bit better. So I'm excited to try it again. Well, there's nothing wrong with that for sure. And like we said, 11th place there, that's nothing to sneeze at for sure. So Hunter, how can folks find you? I know you're active on social media. Yeah. Instagram and um, Facebook are kind of my two main, main deals right now. I got, uh, I'm at mushing dogs on Instagram, um, Facebook, Hunter Keith. And currently we got a website in the works that should be up maybe even by the time this episode is up. And that's going to be hunterkeith.com. And that'll have all those links on there as well. So um, trying to get a little bit more organized and active on all, all those bases. Uh, and I think next year I'll have some help on them too. So yeah, that's the best place to find me is at Mushing Dog. And Facebook is kind of the social media of the mushers, it feels like. It's what we like the most. So that's another good one. And there then my website, of course. All right. We will definitely share those on uh, on your show notes page as well. So on behalf of my guest today, Hunter Keefe, uh, this is Robert for Mushing Radio. We will see you guys next time. Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. 
If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.